Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's special edition of the Keeping It 1000 podcast Denver Nuggets Legend Series is presented as a joint partnership between DNVR and Truth and Media, George Carl's production arm there, podcast-focused production arm. Uh, you can check out Truth and Basketball, Forgotten Seasons, a whole host of things that they are doing. We're also presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. They are the presenting sponsor of the show and the one that makes everything possible for this one. In the middle of the show, I'm going to tell you about a promotion they have going on, but you, in the meantime, are going to want to download the top-rated sportsbook app, DraftKings Sportsbook app, and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the Keeping It 1000 podcast, Denver Nuggets Legends edition, a brand new series we're kicking off here as part of the Keeping It 1000 podcast. I'm your host, Adam Matas. I'm joined by the legendary Coach Carl, who's got a nice and tangled microphone right there uh, for me and a little bit of a shitty Wi-Fi. Coach, what's going on? Oh, it's on me. Oh. <laughs> I want you to know I'm, I'm the guy that knows nothing about Wi-Fi, so why is it my fault? It's definitely not. It's definitely not. We'll roll with the punches, though. Um, I'm excited for this one, Coach. We've been talking about this series for a little bit, and in fact, we've already started it with a conversation with Alex English. But in partnership between DNVR and your company, Truth and Media, uh, we've launched this uh, this series where we will now take Denver Nuggets legends and try to tell the history of the Denver Nuggets, the 56 year now uh, history of the Denver Nuggets, a history that's not told very very often. And tonight we have a, a, a great guest, a guy who I think, number one, was a fan favorite. Uh, number two, spanned multiple eras of Denver Nuggets basketball and was part of uh, an absolutely generational Denver Nuggets team that set all kinds of different records. He's, of course, your former rookie, your former player, Kenneth Reed. Let's welcome him onto the show. Kenneth, thanks for joining us, man. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Thank you for having me. And I already see the chat yeah, out here. Blessings to you, my man. Thanks, Coach Carr. Thanks, Coach Carr. Um, yeah, so this one, uh, you know, I already see the comments are just popping for you already, Kenneth. Um, I, I want to go through and kind of talk about your experience with the Nuggets, starting from the very beginning, going all the way into your departure, and just kind of hear from your perspective, the good, the bad, the highs, the lows, and and, and kind of how, uh, how you went with it. But my first – my first question, if we kind of start it all off, if we go all, all the way back to the very beginning, before the draft, what were your first impressions with Denver? And did you have a sense that Denver was going to be a team that that was interested in you? When did you know that was going to be your landing spot? Uh, 
when Masai basically pulled me in his room and during the draft right, slash of the combine, and he just said, hey, we're going to draft you. I just let you know. So if you go anywhere below, you're getting drafted by us. And that's what happened. <laughs> That's, is that how it always goes, Coach? I know, did you know, like, when did you know Freed was going to be the guy? And and how early are those decisions made? Are they night of the draft, night before? What's that look like? We're sorry. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and try again. And he might already be. Well, we'll have to have him reset. And he'll, he can join us here in just a little bit. Um, all right, so what was your impressions early on when you hear it's Denver, Kenneth? Like, what what is your impression early on uh, about the city of Denver, the Nuggets organization? Did you have thoughts about it? Um, I actually felt like it was, you know, serendipity, pretty much. I ended my career there during the um, That's right. AA tournament, then to start my career there, and Denver already basically knew who I was from watching me. <laughs> they said they scouted me already during that time, during the um, already during before the draft, before the basically combine, way before that. They was already scouting me. They had scouts come, so they liked who I was as a person and everything, and just how much they heard about how much I worked on my game, and I just try to get better and try to get stronger, faster, and get bigger, how much I worked on my body and everything. And he just was telling me since college. So it was just a beautiful thing. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like just for y'all to invest that much time and energy and effort into me. And then honestly just say, hey, we're going to drive you here. And I end my career there during like my college days. And I come there and work out they love me and i still i still kind of disliked it at the time because of the altitude i couldn't believe <laughs> that i was young and i didn't understand but you know I, I loved it once i got used to it well i just one of my questions i actually have because i mean you're coming from jersey you're coastal guy big city guy like what what are athletes impression of denver like, is that a place – I don't think people are clamoring necessarily, but at that point when you're in the draft, is it just another market? Or what's what's kind of an NBA player's perspective on the city? I can't really say that because I went to school in Kentucky. That's true. Dude, I was in Moorhead, Kentucky. Yep. That, so that was – yeah. If I wasn't coached and shocked by that, then Denver, it was just like, wow, okay. I, I love to go there. Like, it's a, it seems to me like a bigger city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially compared to Moorhead. So I was ecstatic to go there. I wasn't afraid or, or another market. No. I know what Melo did there. I know the players that, that was there. Um, I know JR because he's from Jersey. So I know he had a good time being there. And I know, um, free, like my like I said, my favorite player at the time coming out of college, I was look, looking up to Melo. How he really? came one and done. Yeah, because he came one and done. Right. He just always had a smile on his face when he played the game. He enjoyed it. So that's why I always liked about um, the way he played. I'm like, yo, I'm going to watch this guy. And I watched him in the NBA and watched him blossom and become the player he was. And it was just like, wow. I had a, I had a mellow Syracuse jersey with a trophy in my hand one day uh, that I had one MVP or something. And I remember that picture my mom took of me. And – 
to me to get drafted to the Denver Nuggets, the same team he played for, it was just wild. That's pretty dope, man. I never heard that story. So that's like, a, that's the first time I ever heard that one. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so that being said, you come to Denver, you're a fan of Mello, you know JR, but it's kind of a new era when you arrive. Like those guys are out the door. Did it feel like that for you? George, your Wi Fi is looking good. So I think you, you're you with us here. So hang tight for just a second. But yeah, can I? So did it feel like a new era when you were arriving? Did you feel like it was a fresh start? You had a chance there to really stand out right away? Uh, no. <laughs> I'll just be honest. Oh, George Carl already took me in his office and told me I don't play rookies. And yeah. Straight so, up conversation. No, no mystery to it. You just said that. Yeah, straight up conversation. Right, right in his office. That I don't play rookies, so good luck. I was like, "Well, you're gonna play me," and thank you, <laughs> and left. That's exactly the response I wanted. <laughs> so this is a little psychological test. You're gonna tell him I'm not gonna play you to see how he responds to it. Well, everybody says that about me, and that's not true. Ty Lawson was a rookie, and I played him a hell of a lot of minutes. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of young players like Dante Jones and, uh, you know, uh, I think in my old, older days and I think the old, old school generation was that, you know, you didn't play rookies as much as they do today. And that's something that has evolved and changed. It seems like personnel now wants young players to be on the court. But in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, the general thought amongst coaches was that, you don't win a lot of basketball games playing young players. And I still think it's somewhat true today, but I think the process is definitely changing and moving. And, and I, I remember the first year with Kenneth, he uh, had a good rookie, he had a good training camp. Uh, we had a lot of big guys. And I don't know, Kenneth, if you can remember who got hurt. Someone got hurt right at the beginning of the season. And I kind of threw you in the starting lineup. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of liked it and, you know, we had, I think, Wilson Chandler coming off the bench, and Costa was starting, I think, at that time in center. We had Al Harrington coming off the bench. Yep. But, uh, actually, I thought Kenneth is rebounding with the first unit. Uh, he showed me that we needed that in the game. And uh, rebounding is a fundamental that is very difficult in coaching to teach. There are, there are not many coaches that are known for teaching rebounding. And most coaches believe that uh, rebounding is a, is, a, is, a, is a talent. It's a knack. And Kenneth showed that very early in our, our time together that he could help our basketball team by just being a hell of a rebounder and play hard guy. And uh, I had to change my ways. I was wrong. <laughs> I, I was glad I was wrong. Did you know uh, that was your ticket, Kenneth, rebounding? I knew it was my ticket to the NBA for sure. Like I just knew I, I can push myself and, you know, focus on basically playing hard because Dennis Rodman did that <laughs> for a long right. time and made a lot of made a lot of money, got a lot of championships, and is still known as <laughs> the rebounding king. So for me, it was just a mindset like, hey. My mom, my dad, and Stogie, Nara, if you want to shoot the ball, go get it yourself. You got to rebound it. We're not giving it to you. You got to rebound it. And it just made me go get it. You know, sometimes the shots was long. So I'd be like, oh, I'll get this rebound. 
because it's long. And when it was short, it was kind of hard because I was short and my mom and dad was bigger, so they'll get those and jump. But the long ones, I could go chase down. So it became a knack for me. And this translated for me from high school, well, I should say middle school, high school, college, NBA. And it continued to help me grow as a player and as a person. And I just knew no matter what, as long as I rebound, I can play this game. And as long as I'm able to run and be hard-nosed hustle guy and play defense, I can play this game for a long time. What was – do you know, what was your, like, vertical at its peak? Because you had to be one of the of, – of, I mean, David Thompson, J.R. Smith, maybe the only two nuggets I could think of that, that could out-jump you. And J.R. Smith's a maybe. Um, at its peak – yeah, I was at 44. That's crazy. The record at the combine, I think, is like 48 or something like that. So that's yeah, pretty wild. It's, it's up there. Um, Coach, so I, I asked while you were re, uh, getting resituated there, I asked about Mello leaves the 2010 season, 2010-11. So this was the new beginning. You know, what were your expectations coming into that 2011-12 season? And, and sort of where was your mind at with the group you had? Well, you know, after the Mellow trade, we had a good run. Uh, that team played well together uh, before, you know, and uh, we were excited. I mean, we, we offensively, we were going to totally playing fast and totally playing with the gap and kind of playing spacing basketball, kind of like the game was played today. With Mellow, we were kind of 50-50. You know, we would play some of it. But a lot of times we played just regular basketball, NBA basketball of isolation and pick and roll, but a lot, a lot, of, a lot of action directed towards Mello. Uh, but we finished that year. We played, uh, I think we played Oklahoma City in the draft. I mean, uh, Oklahoma City in the playoffs. And played no, that year. No, the year before we drafted oh, after Kendrick. I got you. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think basically as a draft situation, we were just looking at athletes. We wanted guys that had speed on the up the court. They played basketball a little more like an, an athlete, more than, you know, uh, I guess we wanted more speed, more length, more, more uh, just non-positional basketball. And as I said, you know, in the, in the mellow trade, we got Costa, Timo, JaVale McGee, no, 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 no. Uh, you didn't get JaVale then in the, uh, in the mellow trade. He, was, he, he joined it, though. He joined that 2011-12 team, I believe. Yeah, that? yeah, but that was when they we traded with um, Nene. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, when we made all the trades, I, I just – and then I'll be honest with you, I, I brag about Kenneth. And I brag about those four guys, Javel and Costa and Timo and Kenneth. Here are four guys that we get in, you know, not in the same trade, but in one, you know, at one time they all come to our team and they all end up making $10 million a year. And at that time when we got them, none of them were playing. You know, in the Mellow trade, Javel played some, but Timo and Costa never played. And then over the summer, we drafted Kenneth. 
And that was the lockout year, or it was a year that was disrupted right. by the strike. Yeah. And, you know, and so in general, we were just happy to be back on the basketball court. And, you know, I, I, I probably didn't tell Kenny this, but he had a good camp. He made impressions in the camp. Physical. Uh, guys didn't like playing against them. You know, he was a little irritating at times. Um, and um, I like that. I was that type of player. So I kind of like, I said, I, I like this guy a little bit. I didn't tell him that. Nope. And then I don't remember early in the year what happened, but I think it was like really like in the first week of the season or second week of the season, uh, someone got hurt. I don't know if it was Wilson Chandler or Al Harrington or Costa. No, Wilson, I'll tell you, I could, I could remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> it's so funny. Because, um, okay, it was during like towards not the first week, but Nene kept having a nagging injury. So Nene would kept having a nagging injury. Then for some reason, I think, Coast, somebody went down. Timo went down. And then Gallo was in and out, in and out, basically, from injury. Um, and who else? Uh, oh, Al, we, we played Memphis. We played Memphis. And all the bigs were basically hurt, and you said to me, hey, you're going to get your chance, and you're coming off the bench. Al started that game. But I came off the bench with a lot of energy, everything. This and third, I remember Al coming to me and saying after the game, because I we, I basically felt like I lost the game because you said I didn't box out like I should have, and Dante Cunningham hit the ball in over top of me. I remember yeah. that. I remember him tipping the ball in. <laughs> yep. and it was over here. It was yep. near your vicinity. Yep. So I was very upset, and then Al said to me, "Hey, young fella, you all right?" I'm going to go to the coach and tell him I can't start no more because that's not me. You're going to start from here on out. Then you said, all right, Kenneth, basically, come here. And you told me you're starting now. And the next game at home we played, I started, and I never looked back after that. Then Nene came back from his injury, and you started me and Nene. Then, lo and behold, next thing I know, Nene got traded. Birdman got hurt, too. That's mm. when he wasn't playing. Birdman. And, he got hurt. And, and and I'll be honest with you, I think that was Al. I, I liked Al coming off the bench. I liked him being a, a kind of an offensive weapon off the bench. We had enough offense with our starters. You know, with with Wilson and Gallo and Aaron. Was it, we had Iguodala? We, we, Aaron, had we had Aaron. We had Aaron, 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 Aaron that year. That's right. Aaron the follower. We had Iguodala the next year. Um, but, you know, we had Rudy Fernandez and some guys that, you know, we had enough scoring. I've always felt yeah. scoring was easier. And, um, and you know, what's funny is all those big guys, Kenneth is by far the best offensive rebounder. It's not even close. Yeah. Offensive rebounding. Kenneth at times takes some uh, liberties at the defensive end of rebounding. And uh, I got on him about Dante Cunningham. Dante Cunningham. Dante Cunningham beat us at the buzzer. <laughs> we were up one. We yep. were up one. Yep, he missed the free throw and he tipped it in. I was like, oh, my God. What yep. I remember about these early days, Kenneth, that first year is once you started playing, 
instant fan favorite. In fact, I think you became a fan favorite in the preseason. Is that when the Manimal Nick? Did you have Manimal wasn't from college? Wasn't that a a, a pro thing? That was, yeah, it was actually adopted because of the way I was playing the dra- um going through the draft combine. Okay. Um, going through the draft process, everybody was calling and saying, "Yo, this kid is a beast. He's an animal. This man's a, like a, a man child." And then Maktar Ngai um was my was my uh, agent at the time. So he was the he was my agent and um Thaddeus Fouché was my agent. That was my head agent. So then we basically Maktar calls me in his office free. All these scouts and everybody and all these teams calling about me saying you use an animal, use a beast. You 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 from Africa, huh? I'm like what? No. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. He's like, then he goes, then he proceeds to say, oh, can I get the light on, please? Sorry. Yeah. Then he proceeds to say to me, hey, um, you're going to basically call you the manimal. And I'm like, no, I have a nickname. My name's K-Tom. Like, that's my nickname. That's my, been my nickname in college. And he said, no, no. You're animal. You're a beast. Your nickname's Manimal. That's I'm, that's I like an all timer, an all timer nickname. I, I think it's, a, it's one of the few nicknames I think fit. Yeah, it really, it really fits. Yeah. I sit there. I ponder. I go. You know what? Hold on. I got hair like a lion. Yeah. I look, like. I like a lion. Lion strong. King of the jungle. Yeah. I'm the Manimal. I'll be the Manimal. So <laughs> good. A good nickname, a good you know look, and then obviously a dunker, uh, an energy guy. I mean, as I recall it, t- correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought the Denver fan base was like immediately behind you, especially once you started playing. I mean, what was your recollection of just your own popularity with the fan base early on? I think it's because they saw how I performed in college, and that kind of got them already. Like Denver fans said that a lot. They saw me in college. And they can't wait to see how I do in the NBA and see how I do for Denver. And it was already a buzz about me. So that's what started it. Um, and like I said, I, me going there, ending my career there, then going there and starting my career was the best thing in my life because they already knew who I was. They saw me in person. They saw how I played in the altitude already. So it wasn't like, oh, can he do it? Can he not? No, he already did it. Uh, he's been here. He's done it. So it was just a beautiful thing for me. Then I think my preseason game, the first preseason game, he let me play. I really performed and shine, <laughs> and I got a double-double that game. Then that was it. He let me play no more for some reason. <laughs> I understood why, because we had a lot of bigs, and we had a lot of guys who was already like ahead of me. So I knew in practice every day to just bring it. Like, I know, hey, in order for me to play, I got to show I can play like these guys or better. And I'm going to keep annoying them, keep nagging them, because our Harrington, like, he from Jersey, when I was on the team, he really just took me under his wing as my as his rookie. So he was my vet, and he still is my vet to this day. He said, basically, you keep playing hard every practice, and you'll get your chance. Keep going hard. Forget what they're saying. They're telling you to slow down and all that. Forget that. You keep going. You're going to get your chance. And lo and behold. 
Uh, let me let's fast forward because there's some really good stories up ahead. But that year, your rookie season, you actually go up against Kobe Bryant and the Lakers in the playoffs. And that series goes seven games. This, I, this is one of the reasons I want to do this series, Coach. We talked about this, but sometimes the details uh, of a series you get forgot. You just go, oh, the Lakers advanced this or that. That was a tooth and nail series that went all the way down to the end in game seven. Uh, to give a quick overview, Bynum has a triple-double in the first game, 10 blocks, kind of a blowout win for the Lakers. Um, second game is a close one. Kobe goes for 38. In game three, uh, Kenneth, you play 35 minutes. I think it was your high in, in, in here. You grab a ton of boards, and it's a blowout win. Gallo ties the game in game four. He It looks like you're going to win, and then down the stretch, the Lakers pull away, and then Kobe hits a big one. It looks like you're you're over game five. Kobe scores 43, but the, the Nuggets win. Game six is a smackdown. So you come back basically from 3-1 to tie it at 3-3. Yeah. It's a smackdown. The Nuggets absolutely dominate. You get a double-double, Kenneth. And then game seven, a one-point game heading into the fourth quarter, a one-point game, but the Kobe and the Lakers kind of close it. Actually, I think if I were to say, because I went back and kind of watched some of it, the two, the twin towers, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, just their their size in that fourth quarter, tons of rebounds, just tons of size, and you know, got, drew some fouls, this or that. Um, I'll start with you, Coach. What what do you remember about that series? The one thing I remember about the series, I'll ask Kenneth about. Kenneth, it's one of the great moments in my coaching career. I talk about it a lot about leadership. Do you remember game five when Andre Miller gave his speech before the game and told me he wanted to take control? Yes. I mean, it was the most yes. inspirational. I, I get goosebumps yes. now. Because yes. Andre Miller came to me before the game. And it's game five, so there's not a lot of a lot of things you can keep. We showed him everything. Mm -hmm. And he said, Coach, I want to give the talk. Let me have the talk. And I said, okay, can I, I have the first two or three minutes and then I'll give it to you. And it's one of the most inspirational talks because at that time, Andre Miller had never won a playoff series. And it was unbelievable. And to this day, I've never had a player do that in my career. And it was unbelievable. And in game five, Andre Miller was unbelievable, as was Kenneth yep. and JaVale. Yep. Um, some unbelievable plays in that game. Full court lob passes to JaVel, uh, offensive rebounding big time. And as you said, we come back in game six, and it wasn't even a game. And people don't remember in game seven, we were down 20 in the first half. Right? Yep. We were down 20 yep. in the first half and came yep. back. And I don't know how much lead we got in the fourth quarter, but it was more than one. I think we got it up to three, maybe five. Yeah, we went up. We went up. Uh, we went up, and then Ty Lawson, uh, he, he told me this after the game. I wish he would have told me the game before the end of the game. Kobe, what happened was Meadow World Peace was suspended for the first six games, and he was activated for game seven. Yeah. Now, he wasn't much of a factor offensively, uh -uh. but that put that gave them three guys that could defend our three guys. Without, you know, we had you know, a follow tie and Andre were kind of our quarterbacks. Gallo. And they were playing, and Gallo. But those three guys, I don't know what, I don't know how they matched up. But without Meadow World Peace, they didn't have good matchups. We always had someone.
available. And that kind of pisses me off today. Why is <laughs> suspend him for six games? Why the hell is out the first round? Instead, they go six games. Why six games? It just drives me crazy. <laughs> what do you remember about this one, Kenneth, the, the series? I remember just the moment where I, like, came alive in a sense. Like, I understood the task at hand. Like, hey, this is the playoffs. This is serious. Like, they know what you do. They're big. They're strong. But, Kenneth, you're fast. Like, you're going to have to use your speed, use your wits, and figure out how to remain in these games and help your team win. And just in L.A., it was just – it just seemed tough for me. Like, it was like – it was like the, the crowd it overshadowed who I was, and then they just got excited. Bynum was just beating everything. Like, and I just felt kind of demand at the time. Then – I had to get out of that. Like as a rookie, I'm like, yo, I gotta. I'm starting here. I'm playing. I'm in the playoffs. Kenneth, like, you gotta play. Like, wake up. And then, like, I remember my mom and dad coming, and my daughter, and it just made me like, hey, you good? Like, you're playing basketball, a game you love and enjoy. Like, just go out there and have fun. And it was just like, excuse me, <laughs> get teared out. It was just fun for me. I just remember playing and just like, you know what? I'm going to play my hardest and give it my all. If I score, I score. If I don't, I don't. But I'm going to make sure I rebound this ball and play the hardest defense I can in order for us to win. And that's, lo and behold, what I was able to do. And my favorite thing about it was I made it such a ruckus. Kobe and Matt Barnes knocked me out the air when I was going up for a dunk one time in Denver. We was going, I was going up for a dunk. And they basically called it flagrant one when he did it. But in this day and age, did it be a flagrant two? Might <laughs> be out of the game. Exactly. <laughs> but they knocked me out of the air because they hit me in the head. Like they didn't go for the ball no, because no. I was too, I jumped too fast and too hot. And they knew it wasn't, yeah. And I basically laid on the, I remember laying on the sideline like, wow, this really just happened. Wow. Like Kobe Bryant just really knocked me out the air. I must be doing something right. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I love this. Such a, such a good detail, man. Uh, again, these are all things I hadn't heard before. I hadn't heard these conversations, and I'm around every Nugget story there is. So this is this is really interesting. Gonna take a quick break to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook. The NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't miss offer for Week One. Bet just one dollar on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive two hundred dollars in free bets. Instantly, no matter what, take advantage of the limited time offer now. You heard that right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any week. One game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same game parlays. I love that. Same game parlays. We're here. We're here, baby. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code DNVR to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Go the next year is the, is the big one. I mean, 2013, it... 
when I talk to people, sometimes we'll talk about, you know, the Melo era, the Jokic era, this or that. The space in between that, you know, Fareed, Ty Lawson, Gallinari, that in, in, in particular, that 2013 season, let me list all of the things that happened in this in just one year. For, for one, the team starts eight and nine, but they have a 15-game win streak, which is still a record for the Denver Nuggets. A 21-game uh, home winning streak, which is still a record. Finished the season 22-3, and three, including, by the way, that 22-3 and three stretch included a one-point overtime loss and a one-point loss. So very nearly like you know a 25-game win streak or whatever. Um, so it was a really special season. I just I'll, I'll start from the top and I'll start with you this time, Kenneth. Did you know going into that one, building off of the games, the seven game series the year before, did you had a sense that all right, this this team is gelling and now we're ready for a special year? Um, no, because we made a trade and we got right. Andre Iguodala that summer. And it threw me off, and then we got um I think we got Wilson Chandler back because he came back from China that year right. because of the lockout. So everything was just kind of thrown out of whack. Al Harrington was gone. Uh, I'm like, yo, uh, we still have Andre though, but I, it kind of threw me off. Like, I was like, okay, I don't know these people really. I know Andre Iguodala, he's a great player, all-star. It's gonna be, that should be nice. Uh, Wilson Chandler, they said he was a borderline all-star when he was on here in the NBA. So that should be nice to have him. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm maybe I'm not playing no more. Like, I don't know what's going on. I was kind of nervous, <laughs> especially coming off my rookie campaign. I didn't know if there's going to go in a different direction. Right. So for me, it was just, hey, like, we're making all these trades. We're getting the Olympian because he just won the Olympics when we got Andre. Right. So I'm like, we're getting an Olympian right now. And they, they want, I'm on his team. And we got Javel still. We got Timo. We got Costa. I'm like, we got some, some players. So, I was kind of nervous, but I just knew if I worked hard and did what I did my rookie year, I'll be okay going into training camp. That's so yeah. And plus, we started the season 0 and six. By the way, like, oh and six. George, I don't Carl. That. George Carl, you remember that one? I don't remember 0-6. I know, though, that we had ups and downs early in the season. Yeah, in fact, we had one of the worst schedules I've seen in the NBA. We were at, at the first week in January, we were 17 and 15. So we had 32 games in the window. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not telling you a lie here. 21 of them were road games. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's all it's a lot of road games early on. I never noticed. And 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 you know, we were two games over 500, but in the plus minus system, we were like a plus 6. Gotcha. And somehow some way we could we got we relayed that mentally to our players. And early, I think the 15 game winning streak happened in February, maybe late January. And then we just we we were good. I mean, it was the best offensive basketball team I've ever coached. Wow. Um, I mean, I mean, in season, and and we were so powerful at home. I mean, teams just, I've not, you know, in the, in Denver, we always had that chance of the altitude or the intensity of the game could sometimes shut teams down. 
but never as much as in that season. In that season, you could see teams give up early in the third quarter. They're saying, we can't get this done tonight. Let's move on. You, you notice this too, Kenneth? You see guys that are just like, nah, not tonight. I was on this. Listen, I was on the court. Sometimes we at the free throw line. And for me, I like to bend over and act like I'm, you know, I'm basically tired. So to see how guys' reaction is, and they like, yo, y'all not tired? Yo, how y'all, how y'all still going? I'm like, oh, we got one. Hey, then I tell Todd. <laughs> then I go like this. I tell Todd, Andre Miller, I got one. And you'll see me take off. And they throwing it from basically the free throw line, other free throw line or half court. Man. Is Andre, I love, I love that, man. Just, I love the idea of like a guy admitting he's tired and it's like, got him. He's, he's as soon as you admit it, it's over. Um, with Andre Miller, it made you, made me think of this. You just running and saying, I got it. Let's throw it. I, in my opinion, he might be the best lob passer I've ever had. Was he the best lob passer that you've ever played alongside? Hands down. No question. Hands down. No one's even close. Yeah. Like, I, I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't found anybody that close. Like, he, he was amazing. Like, like, wow. It's yeah. just, he just knew every time, pinpoint, pinpoint. It was, it was pretty spectacular. Did you guys have a, I mean, was there like eyes? I mean, what do you do? Because sometimes he would throw it before anybody moved. And he he'd be like, he just doing? told me, you run. I see you. I said, you do? He said, I see you. I've been seeing you at practice and everything. I see you. You just run. I promise you I'm going to get it there. So? I mean, yeah, and and I mean, we had three guys who could run. Both, I mean, Javelle could run. You, Ken's could run. And I, I mean, Costa wasn't a great runner, but he, I thought he was a good what we called the dunker in those days. Yeah. Yep. Costa was great in the dunker. Costa was a good offensive rebounder. Kenneth was a great offensive rebounder. And I, I just, you know, I. I, I've never had rebounding like that in, on many of my teams. You know, defensive rebounding has always kind of been a little more important to me than offensive rebounding. But because of Kenneth and Costa, and oh, I got to throw Javel and Timo in there too, uh, we we really, I think we led the league in offensive rebounding. I'm not sure of that, but I'm pretty sure oh, we did. Man. Yeah. And um, I think the Nuggets and, with Kenneth Fareed led the league in rebounds top three, like almost every single one of the years that he was in Denver. Yeah, and, we were. And the, and, the thing, and the thing about it was we, we scored the ball around the basket. We yeah. were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in basketball. Right. Right. In, the last, in the lower five, we were one of the worst free-throw shooting teams in basketball. But we still led the league in scoring, right. which I don't think will ever mm. be done again. I don't think that'll ever happen again. Uh, I think we outscored teams in the paint by 12 points on an average of 12 points. And uh, I know more and more teams keep that stat, but our thing was to score in the paint first. I think Kenneth knows that, you know, my, my belief was that you love the rim and you like the three. And uh, that was, that was said many a times in practice. We don't love the three and like the rim. No, we love the rim and we like the three. And those were our two shots. And we also wanted to get fouled. Uh, but, you know, Kenneth wasn't a very good free throw shooter. I don't know about JaVale and Costa and Timo. But uh, Aaron, I mean, uh, 
Iguodala wasn't a very good free throw shooter. I think we might have shot in the. I think we might have shot under seventy as a team because I think we were 29th or thirtieth in free throw shooting. Yeah, was that yeah. Kenneth? Was that the most fun year you had? I mean, was that if you compare all of your basketball experiences, high school, college, AAU, whatever? Like, was that where's that 2013 season rank for just like fun playing the game? It just it felt like I was back in college, honestly. Like it didn't feel like a, a job. It didn't mm. feel like I was out there working. It felt like I was just playing a game and having fun. I didn't have to worry about anything. Like some nights I, w- I wasn't always spectacular every night. Like but I would, went hard every night. And some nights my go hardness just didn't pay off. But we still had other guys who Picking up the slack, helping out, carrying me, helping me, like, and just showing that love and enthusiasm of the game also. So it was just, it was fun for me. And then we also, like, yeah, we was, at first we started off losing, but I remember Melvin Hunt and I remember actually George Carver, I think you should remember this one. Early in the season, you coming up to all of us, we stuck. Only person that playing hard right now and doing anything is you, is Kenneth Fareed. That's the only guy out here doing this. All of you guys, Kenneth, you got off. Everybody else, we're practicing. I was like, oh no, what? <laughs> what do you <laughs> we do? Crazy in the locker room, and it was because like we wasn't playing hard as a team. Everybody wasn't just bringing it. Then we, after that day, we clicked, and it was just beautiful. <laughs> Did you take a day off? Like, if he gives you the day off, do you? No. I was going to say, it like puts you in an no. awkward spot if you take the deal. Like, hey, I, he's trying to go. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's fine. But he gave guys he gave guys who need treatment, get treatment, right. guys who want a yeah. massage, all that stuff. So, yeah, it, it wasn't really a day off, like, oh, go get out. Nah, or get shots and stuff, like, but we practice. Gallo Gallo gets hurt, obviously, that year at the very end. It kind of reminds me of this Nugget season this year, to be honest, where everything's looking like, oh, man, we're ready for a run here. This is going to happen. Gallo gets hurt. I had to go back and look at this because I actually forgot. You got hurt, too. And you missed game one of the playoffs that year. I mean, everybody always says Gallo was out. uh, uh, but, But you missed game one, which was a game Denver dropped as well. When you look back on that, Kenneth, you know, how do you feel about how does that season go? If you're healthy, Gallo's healthy. I think even Wilson was banged up. We actually won game one. We won it. It was a tough one, but we won. Then. Oh, that's right. Yep. Two, I, I tried to come back for game two, like ready. Right. And I think we, in game one, David Lee got hurt yep. too. It, it killed changed us. The whole, it changed the whole dynamic of their team. For years. From that point for it. The scouting report was all the guy we were going to cover the three ball and let David Lee have wide open jump shots. Yep. He gets hurt in the first game or the beginning of the second game. First, first game. No, it was first, game. Game. first game. And <laughs> and all of a sudden they're starting Harrison Barnes. And all yep. of a sudden they're without Gallo and without Kenneth, they're as athletic as we are. Right. And it was amazing how that team came together by by an injury taking the guy that our game plan going in was okay david lee might hurt us 
but we're not going to let him have the three ball, or we're going to try to cover the three ball and let him have, be wide open. And, and then all of a sudden, there wasn't a guy wide open anymore because they all could make the three ball. Right. And, uh, and of course, Steph, that was his coming out party. Yep. Uh, I mean, some of the nights he had in, in, uh, in Oakland were amazing. I think game three, he was amazing. Maybe game five, six, maybe. He was pretty damn good, too. And I think we, we had a chance to be that team. In yep. some ways, in some ways, if we would have stayed together or won that series, uh, because we were rolling. I mean, people don't understand 22 and three just doesn't happen in the NBA very often. Right. And and I think we won 38, 38 home games and lost to two teams under 500. We lost to Minnesota and we lost to Washington at home. Yeah. And. And we could have won. No team has ever won every home game. The Celtics won 40 one year. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, so I don't know where 38 and three stands, but I'm sure it's in the top 10 in the NBA. Oh, easily top 10. Easily top 10. I mean, that Nuggets team has so many records, honestly. That, that year, you look at it, uh, there's a dozen records that come just from that year when you talk about wins, streaks, uh, home wins, everything else. So, to this day, an iconic one. And we, I only got you for a couple more minutes here, Kenneth. So I kind of want to move quickly on, you know, after that year, George Carl is gone that summer. Uh, Masai Ujiri is gone that summer. Gallinari's out for an entire year. It, we go in now from 2013. We're going into the next season. Was the vibe off immediately? I mean, was it different? Like what, what, what was it like coming back to a, a completely new team and new organization in many ways? Um, it it was it was kind of interesting, you know. It's just I didn't necessarily feel as though like the coaches or everyone understood what George Carl was doing right. with us at the time and how he was molding us and like helping us become the team that that team that that basically with him and how he was like understood the game and understood each each of our attributes and abilities that we can really take off and he was basically ready i remember me and him had a conversation after everything and it was hey this year this third year it was your year like i was going to let you take over and this was going to be your team and everything. And I was going to have you take more shots and do more things and really open up your game. And I was like, wow, I was, I was so ready for that. And I was already working on it every summer, like the three, my free throws, you think. And, and I was just ready for him to like, and I knew it was time because they basically said the following year I got snubbed for being an all-star right. <laughs> because our team like took off and was so good actually. So it was, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's my year. Then everything kind of went crumbling down and everything. And I just, I was like, he won coach of the year that same year that we were so bad. <laughs> so at first, so it was just, wow. Like I didn't wow. understand anything. 
Why did they do it? Why did they blow yeah. us up? I have no he, idea. He literally said to me, when I remember he, I was like, Coach, you got Coach of the Year, man. I, like, I'm so happy for you. He's like, yeah, but they always fire you after this. And I said, it was, wait, yeah. I was like, wait, what? Like, it's a curse. Like, it's kind of a God. curse. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was like, why would they do that? You got coach of the year. Like, why would they fire you? Like, you're, you're helping me grow. You're helping my team grow. Like, everybody's becoming better players, and like, we're excited about basketball. We play like a, like a young college team, but at the same token, like, we got plays and we know what the hell we're doing. We play defense and we play hard. What? Like, we about to have a new coach do a whole new system, whole new beliefs whole new everything after you just won coach of the year it was it was a lot for me I, I never had that happen i never lost the coach right so for me it was like yo hold on like you just won coach you just did all this positive stuff why so <laughs> and then masai left and i'm like what the heck is going on the guy who said to me in my face we're going to get you we're going to get you come draft night right. you're going to be a right. nugget Leaves. I'm like, yo, I can't believe it. Then, yeah, it was just. Did any part of you want out? Did like any? Was there any part of you that thought, man, everybody's going? Maybe I move on. Um, yeah, I did, I did, but I love Denver and the fans, so it was like hard. I'm like, yo, I love Denver. I love the fans. I love what they're like. Everyone here, um. There's still people here that I do like care about and I do like and respect. And so, hey, look, I got Ty and I got like literally, it was like, hey, I got Ty, I got Javel. Okay, we can still do this. Like, I got Gallo still, I got Wilson. We can still do this. Like, then Equal Dollar decides to go to the Warriors. I was like, oh, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Everything just threw me. Everything yeah. just. I, yeah. Oh. After, yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Kenneth had a game. I don't know if Kenneth, you remember this or not, but he had one game uh, towards the end of that year that he had like 29 points and 20 rebounds in 25, less than 25 minutes. I think it was against Golden State. Yep, it was right. against Golden State. Early, early, it was like right at the end of the season, maybe early April, late, late March. And I mean, you know, the only thing we, we were scared about Golden State was that we weren't a very, we didn't cover the three ball very well that year. And uh, we knew they were a great three ball shooting team. And that's kind of, in, in the history of NBA, everybody's going to remember Golden State Warriors by how they magnify taking more and more threes than anybody else. And that was kind of the process that began with that playoff series. Yeah. I got to move it on here. And this is, we're kind of getting up. And after 2014, 15, you know, Brian Shaw's out, team is struggling, and it's clear that they're starting to rebuild. They got Gary Harris, Emmanuel Moutier, Yusef Nurkic, and then Jokic comes in. Um, you also signed a big contract that year. So it's kind of moving in a new direction. And now you're, you know, sort of a centerpiece. You know, you're they they give you that big deal. In fact, they had to redo the deal. They gave you too much money. It was illegal at first. But when you get in with uh, with Jokic, what's your first impression of him? It back back in 2015, and was there when was the first time you thought, hey, this might be a an MVP player? Not just you know, this might be a, a guy. Um, 
honestly, it was after the second year of playing with Jokic. Like, just how he was at practice and everything. I'm like, yo, this kid is like a sponge. And he, he can see the floor. There's like, yeah, he was fat and short back in the day and played point guard. I was like, wait, what? And he sprouted up. I'm like, oh, what? Like, sheesh, no wonder he can see the floor like he's this good of a player. Like, I'm like, yo, he, like, he be looking at me. Like, I don't even have to do stuff. He mind me of a little bit of a younger Andre Miller with his vision. Right. Because uh, he was, like, literally hitting me at spots. And I'm like, yo, this kid throwing it behind his head sometimes. I'm, yeah. like, cut, making a circle around. He just sees me behind his head. I was like, oh. Then, oh, I'm running down the court. He's half-court dribbling. Here you go, Kenneth. I'm like, oh, whoa, this kid is – he's good at this. But this was during practice time. So it was practice we doing stuff like this. I'm like, yo, this kid is good. Then um, it was – Nurkish was there, and I'm like, yo, like, Nurkish is good, too. Like, he's a good big dude, like, brawler-type player, and I can play off of him. Like, rebounding, it reminded me of playing with a Costa or a Timo. Right, right. And whereas Jokic reminded me of playing with a Timo, a, a more, a Timo Andre Miller type. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, yo, I can yeah. Kenneth, I, I think Jokic is one of the top five passers in the NBA, period. Not just top five big guys, top five passers in the NBA. And i I be honest with you, who's the point guard in the Denver Nuggets? It's Jokic. Agreed. He has more decision-making, more touches, and more presence and responsibility to, to create flow and to create rhythm in offense than anybody on their team. And it's a magnificent well. gift. It's a magnificent gift yeah. to the city of Denver. And you know, Ken, he, he fit in with you, I thought, right away. In fact, I asked him this question. It might have been 2016 or 17 where I, I said something about chemistry with, you know, different bigs or this or that. And he's like, some guys like me and Kenneth just have it. Like, we just I just always know. And I think it was your athleticism. You're just always in the dunker. He just knew you were – he didn't even have to look. He just knew you were there. I mean – that 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 chemistry was it did seem like it was day one it was it was day one bill and i ain't gonna sit here and and lie near him i had beautiful times it was it was just seemed to be he knew uh, i wanted it and i knew what he wanted to have it and I knew that he wanted to get off it so if he wanted to get off it he just wanted to make the right play i'm gonna be the right in the right spot at the right time and that just come from playing in George Carr's system. Like, he just always told me, hey, play around in that dunker area and stuff. You can use your athleticism a lot better. You can use it, or you get to the rim quick. Go um, play around in that, uh, the, the top of the tip of, around the rim, the, basically the uh, circle. Right. You could get all of, you'll get a, you'll eat if you can do that. I said, <laughs> okay, because I can rebound for sure, like, and that's going to make it easier for me. So, okay. hey, why not? Yeah. That 2016 team coach, it reminds me of 2013 in that one way. Didn't always shoot the ball well, but they just grabbed every rebound. I mean, the, the defense was so stretched out that Jokic and Farid were just grabbing every rebound. If they missed a shot, it was, it was a putback. Um, it just felt like that. And that's why that offense that year was so great. Um, last one I got for you, Kenneth. I, I appreciate you spending all this time giving us a full hour here. But my last one, you know, they bring Paul Millsap in, and that kind of marked the beginning of the end of your time in Denver 
And I remember the last time I actually interviewed you was at Media Day the year Paul Millsap came in. And I remember somebody asked you about coming off the bench or, or this or that, and you said, I'm a starter. And it was clear that they had brought Paul Millsap in to be a starter. Just what were your feelings and thoughts when you saw that they had paid all that money and it brought Paul Millsap in? And what were you feeling about the team and, and the situation at that moment? Um, It just felt kind of hurtful because I thought me and um, – Mike Malone had a good relationship because at the end of the year, at the end of all the Nurkish things and everything, yeah. it's just like he just was like elated that the fact that like me and Joker had a good chemistry. He said even the numbers showed that me and him had great chemistry together. And I thought, hey, me and this guy can play alongside each other. He's going to be an all-star someday. And I for sure, like I, I definitely could help him get there, like especially where he plays. So – I I thought that, but, you know, things happen. And, I mean, I still went hard at practice, still tried to, you know, showcase that I can still play. But they wanted the more of a post-up of the four, who can more so they said stretch the four. So I understood with the Millsap thing. Were, at that time, were, you know, were there any conversations that year or the year after about, hey, you know, this isn't working out for me? you find a spot for me? Were there any conversations like that with the front office? Um, Yeah, my agent had conversations with them. So that's what happened. But at the same token, I don't, obviously I didn't get out there to the next summer. Right, right. Well, Kenneth, I, I mean, to wrap this up, man, I mean, this was really great. Like I said, so many stories I never heard before, and I feel like I've heard them all. So this was this was really great. Really appreciate the chat. Absolutely loved it. I, I just wonder, you know, do you – you know, you were, I think at that time, Ty Lawson was loved. Gallo was loved. Uh, JaVale McGee was loved. But when you checked into the game, it just felt like the, the Pepsi Center went to a different level. I mean, did you feel that being a fan favorite for years after year? I felt it. I felt the fans <laughs> were going to kill me if I didn't play him. I know he felt it. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, I mean, I just knew it just as the way I played and the way I've always played and I continue to play. I play hard. I play with my heart on my sleeve, and I play the game the right way. So that's, I believe, how the game should be played, and the game should be played with love. So, I mean, hey, fans see that, and they enjoy that. And, I mean, look at Dennis Rodman. He was bigger than Michael Jordan at one point. Yeah. You think yeah. about it. <laughs> well, this was great stuff. I really appreciate it, Kenneth. And, um, you know, excited to see where uh, your career takes you, you know, here from here. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it it, it comes full circle. It would. You mentioned the poetry of, of Moorhead State ending, you know, your career ending in Denver. Maybe it comes full circle. We get back to Denver at some point. Uh, we get to do the Manimal Cheer again. Um, but thank you so much for spending an hour with us. Kenneth, thank, thank you. you. Blessings to you. I hope you're doing thank well. You hope your family's healthy too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all have a good one. All right, everybody, hit that like button on the way out, and we'll see you again next time.